What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome you to Porch Talk. We are in Starkville, Mississippi. I have J.C. Long with me here today. Uh, we recently met at Joe McGowan's and uh, not only is J.C. involved in photography, he's involved in music, also uh, engineer, electrical engineer. And um, we're going to dissect a couple of those things and how he got into them. And, well, man, just for starters, man, tell me a little bit about uh, growing up in Mississippi, originally from here in Starkville. Um, actually, we moved here when I was a kid okay. from Arkansas. That was my young years, as far back as I can remember. We lived in a tiny little town in Arkansas. That and, is good um, coffee. Yeah, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a freak for coffee. <laughs> we moved over here, and this was, uh, to my uh, young eyes, was the big city. We moved to Columbus. Uh-huh. And uh, I was 10 years old when we moved. It was the summer before fifth grade. and. Uh, so we were, it was, it was different, you know. It was a big change, huge change. So in Arkansas, was that a real small town? Oh yeah, it was like less than 5,000 people. Where, so where what led y'all down here? My dad worked for warehouses for many years, and they okay. had a shop over there mm-hmm. in that little old town that was really oriented toward timber, but uh, they needed an electronics shop. So <clears throat> he... Uh, did all manner of things electronic for them. That was, he was into that too. He was, an elect, he was not an electrical engineer, but he was, uh, I guess today you might call it an electronics technician. Mm-hmm. And some of the things I've seen him do is absolutely in line with electrical engineering. I know a lot of those types. I mean, I've got, I got an industrial electronic degree from uh, Shelton State, and I got a job at Electric Motor Sales and Service in Columbus. And the guy that trained me, he blew my mind. He was not an engineer. Uh, he was in the Navy. Yeah. But, like, he, he had all that engineering and technical background, and you were to see just, like, he would just, 
he could draw out the schematic for a whole factory and he would tell them like the drives and what kind of motors yeah and everything that they would need every last one yeah yeah dad he was in the navy too and that's that's where he had his uh -huh. training in electronics yeah and he was that way so well that's what he did for warehouser and uh then got into radios two-way radios so he would go and outfit uh you know these large operations paper mills sawmills whatever and he would outfit every point that they needed with mm -hmm. some kind of radio communications and give them a private network or whatever and uh anyway so uh, he got the same type of job over here with warehouser they just transferred him and wanted him to set up shop and sort of expand mm -hmm. uh, in columbus so at the regional offices out there that used to be i think that they don't they, i don't think they even have that over there anymore but anyway uh that's why we moved and so then we set up shop in a house on the south side of Columbus, which was in the, back in, in those days was in the school district for demonstration school. And I think uh, mom always counted that a blessing. She, she clocked that right away because it was a small class, you know, and uh, student teachers and uh, it looked to her like the better of the of the elementary schools available mm. over there so and I'm, I'm certain she was right about that um, there was a small class of us it was a great group you know it was hard going from Arkansas to here for me you know and these kids they I mean some of them knew it I can remember Curtis Austin which may ring a bell Curtis's dad was a city judge in Columbus uh, for a long time anyway uh, there was Curtis there was Several. I mean, I could go name a bunch of names here of, of people. Uh, the Cologne family was was there at demonstration school. So uh, Wilbur and then uh, Scott and Andrew were two grades behind me at demonstration school. Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of kids like it, like that, from around that time, who have gone on and done just really cool things. Some of them I still keep in touch with. A good handful of them. <clears throat> point is the demonstration school was really good it was stimulating uh, they were you know encouraging of creativity compared to where I was in Arkansas it was a little different it wasn't bad it was just uh, I got to do a lot more over here you know and uh, so anyway uh, that went on so like just the difference between here and Arkansas I mean it was little city to big city Mm -hmm. and more stimulation just for your mind and creativity yeah yeah definitely and so like what came first uh was it music or electronics or art or music definitely um in school now i picked that up in seventh grade and um the summer before seventh grade I, this is the first time i picked up a guitar then shortly thereafter i started the beginner band at uh Goodness, Hunt Junior High School is what it was called back then. It, that used to be the, the uh, segregated high school, I think. But uh, we had our seventh grade there. Beginner band, drums. So I got drums and guitar going pretty much simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And um, there was some guitar lessons for a couple of years. And the drums, it was sort of a formal approach, you know, academic approach, uh, well into college. And uh, so, yeah, all that started first. And I didn't know hoot about 
electronics at all until, goodness, I, I really started cracking the hood on that, taking a look when I was in the Army. But it was much later. Mm. In, in school, in high school, I gravitated toward uh, math, science, those kinds of things. Later on, I really gravitated toward English and history and, and had some kind of a, it was weird, I just had a pull uh, toward the end there to dig into those more, you know. I, I thought that was a weak area. Mm -hmm. I, I, it was a weak area, but uh, I dug in. So uh, you might say that the artistic appreciation kind of started with that. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. so just uh, just moving on, like after you graduated high school, would you immediately go into the Army or would you go to college for a while? No, I went, um, admittedly, and I, I'm going to be open with you here because uh, I like the real deal, you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> this ain't going to be just some glazed over. What really happened was uh, by that time, I wasn't jaded or anything on, on Mississippi or Columbus or, you know, burned out. Mm-hmm. But I wanted more, definitely. So, you know, it, it wasn't a re repulsive sort of force that I wanted, I just had to get out of here, you know, just blow this town. It wasn't that at all. It was a pull to go and discover. And, you want uh, to see the world. Yeah, definitely. So looking at colleges, I, I mean, I looked around, I even looked at Mississippi State and USM and all the, the Ole Miss, you know, and they offered me money, but... Uh, uh, I was also looking at some of the Church of Christ schools because I grew up since I was, before I could remember, I was in the Church of Christ. You know? mm -hmm. Every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, you know. Yeah, I noticed on your card you got Ephesians 3.20. That's right, yeah. So uh, there, there's another part of the music right there is uh, singing in church. We okay. didn't have any musical instruments. It's a cappella. It still is. Most churches of Christ. But... Uh, yeah, since I was real tiny, been singing in church. Um, well, I was looking at Church of Christ schools as well. So Harding University, Freed Hardman up in Tennessee. Uh, was much more interested in David Lipscomb in Nashville. But I had a buddy that was going out way out west, Pepperdine University. And yeah. That, that got my attention. I started eyeing that up and looking, talking to him, asking him questions. Uh, my buddy Jared and... Uh, uh, he'd come. He was two years older than me, and mm -hmm. uh, so he'd come back after you know his first year, raving about it. Come back after his second year, raving even more about it. He spent a, that year abroad in Italy. Uh, anyway, that's what I did, and uh, got as far away from here as you can go, uh, just about. I mean, I guess you could go up to Seattle or something. That'd technically be further, but mm -hmm. the West Coast uh, literally became. Uh, back porch view and uh, so I'd get up in the morning and go out on the porch and there's the Pacific literally and um, got into uh, lots of music out there continued the academic stuff mm -hmm. uh, in, in drums and orchestra really uh, so things like the uh, vibraphone uh, the marimba uh, timpani uh, all manner of percussion instruments, except for what I came up on in high school, which was marching. Now, with, uh, uh, with the Church of Christ College, um, 
do they have like the bands and different choirs and things on campus or was this outside of campus you were pursuing? Pepperdine and California in general, it, it's different. It's not like Mississippi where what's traditional is like uh, wind music, horns, you know, uh, marching band, mm -hmm. concert band what I came up with and what you would experience even now in uh, MSU or, or Ole Miss or any of those programs. Uh, out there it was much more classically oriented. There were horns but there was a full line of strings as well. And it was more, it wasn't a, actually it was more of a community thing because uh, Pepperdine's not a big school and uh, the, the enrollment of students that were in orchestra, uh, I, I don't remember offhand, but it, it wasn't, you know, huge, maybe 50 sure, or yeah. something like that. So from the L.A. community, because this is right outside L.A., we would uh, bring in what we called ringers and uh, fill out the orchestra, and then it was a large orchestra. So um, uh, that was uh, about it. There were other opportunities for performance, but... Uh, that was the biggest one, yeah. And then lots of private instruction. Oh yeah. That was that was a cool experience. Uh, my my teacher back then was this older lady. She was probably 75 back then. Vera Dalen, and she had played for everybody and their mother, including presidents. And she would spend half the lesson telling me stories, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. And that was so fun. You know, she played with uh, Ed McMahon uh, or four. She, uh, then there, the drummer on the Tonight Show, uh, Ed Shaughnessy. She was like buddies with him. You know, she called him up. Yeah. He's still alive. You know. Then her teacher. Uh, you, you have certainly seen an emblem. If you've gone to a, a high school football game and there's a marching band mm -hmm. and they've got some percussion stuff right on the sideline, kind of up front like xylophones and whatnot. And there's a logo on, on a lot of these. It says Musser, M-U-S-S-E-R. Well, that's the guy that started that company, Claire Musser. And he was her teacher. And he was in the nursing home back then. Mm -hmm. And she'd be going seeing him, you know. He's talking about Claire, and I'm like, just blowing my mind, you know. And we had some, uh, not one-off instruments, but two-off. Like, there's only two of these in the world. And it was some of his stuff like a humongous bass marimba. You had to get on a stool to get up there and play it. Keys wow. like as big as your head. And uh, uh, bass marimba is much more commonplace nowadays, but not like that. I've never seen another one like it. Uh -huh. and, and so it was, It was. there was little features in the music back then. There was features like that of going to Pepperdine, uh, getting to do some things that I wouldn't have gotten to do yeah. elsewhere, you know. So... Uh, was that the major there at Pepperdine? Uh, mine? Yes. Uh, at first, I was not sure what I wanted to do, which is a common theme for me. Kind of, you, you would not be wrong to call me a late bloomer, you know, <laughs> figuring out which direction to go. Uh -huh. Well, heck, I went in every direction, <coughs> every direction but the one that worked, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Check everything out first. So, um, uh, at first, uh, I couldn't make my mind up. I had narrowed it down to a few, and music was one of them, and that was the first year. By the second year, I was minoring in music and majoring in philosophy. Yeah. 
had had an idea about going to law school and uh, had a couple of friends back back then that had the same idea and they actually went to law school and they're lawyers now yeah there you go yeah it was it was a good idea it's just uh i learned that that was the wrong direction after a year or two doing that i'm like yeah i i, I can't be a lawyer <laughs> i ain't cut out for it you know yeah I'm only in that mood, you know, once in a blue moon. Right. You know, this I don't no like arguing. Yeah. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh-uh. Yes, uh, man. I'm, you know, Kennedy was talking. It was a fairly small town, just across the state line, and I had lived there all my life. And graduated high school, and I'd go to um, Tuscaloosa. I'd go to Shelton State, and work in that field for a year, and was extremely dissatisfied. And that's when faith became a pretty big part of my life. And it led me down to the University of Mobile, which is a Baptist college down there. And uh, that was the first time that I had like a heavy exposure to music. I, we were, I was singing in a choir. I was in the music program for maybe a year and a half down there before I realized it was just eating up. Like I couldn't even work on my major. Yeah. It was all music. Yeah. So I was like, I got to stop. But uh, it was, you know, a choir of 300 people. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, just the, the, the talent and... Uh, I was blown away. I was like, I, I bet I'm sitting in a room with people who are going to be like professionals that you see on TV one day. I just know it, you know. Maybe not not even most of us, maybe five out of these 300, you know. Well, I don't know if you, if you felt the same way, but uh, I definitely, it didn't take too long going out to California to uh, begin feeling like a small fish in a huge ocean. Oh, yeah. Whereas, you know, it, it ain't that hard to, around here, most of these towns anyway, to uh, to be a big fish in a small pond, you know. Sure. And that was uh, sobering. It about broke my spirit, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I remember I went down there to try out for a music scholarship, and I, I got the max amount, and I was like, I'm about to blow everybody away. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, first day in choir, and I start hearing everybody, and I was like, I'm in deep trouble. Right. <laughs> yeah, man. In high school, I, I uh, just went as far as I could go with marching percussion, you know, playing mm-hmm. the snare drum and, and all that in high school and spent so many hours practicing. And, and it helped that it came natural, and I just took it as far as I could go, literally, and, and tried out for the All-State Band and made it. Three years, I tried out. Three years, I made it. And the last year, went to the top of the, the heap. Mm-hmm. You know, big fish in a small pond and uh, very same thing going out there you know I mean I'm intimidated and and now I have to put those drumsticks down because we don't do that out here mm-hmm. you gotta learn all these other instruments and I'm like what and then I hear from people I'm glad that you, you, you get this because I hear from people I have heard from people over all these years you know and, and they have this this particular view, you know, mm-hmm. especially people that know me from back then and, and, and they remember about the drums and all that stuff, but they don't have the view, the other view, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting here, I've got both in mind and I'm sitting here thinking, well, you know, you, you can remember that and, and it's good that you remember that and I appreciate the, the uh, acknowledgement, I guess, uh, but I have got the other end of the scale here. Right. You know, <laughs> let's put it. Let's put this where it belongs on the scale. Let's call an apple an apple, and and it's okay, you know. But there's lots of people who don't get that. Mm-hmm. They don't have this concept about well, 
the world is much bigger. Mm-hmm. Much bigger. Yeah. And and putting my feet out there was, you know, yeah. Ever since I've been um, kind of trepidatious to do that again in any direction. And uh, it's not just music, it's everything, you know. Yeah. It's a big world out there. Yeah, no kidding. And it, you don't have to go far when you... <laughs> When you leave your little pond, if you are the big fish, to realize that uh, uh-huh. you're about to be a small fish in a yeah. big pond, it don't take long at all. Well, I'll say this: uh, uh, that that I haven't talked about that. I don't think I've talked about that with anybody because they don't get it. I don't. Or at least I don't expect that they will. But uh, some some people, anyway. The, since then, uh, I've learned a few more things and. Uh, I think it is possible to do it. Uh, I know it is. It's just uh, part of it's being mentally prepared, you mm-hmm. know. But you know, being a late bloomer, the more I've gone on, the more I picked up. You know, there's there's a whole lots of stuff, and uh, then there's this common theme that gets woven between all these interests. You know, all these different directions, and uh, that is one of. I don't really know what to call it. It's uh, I would not call it hedonism. I think that's going a little too far. But uh, appreciation of uh, sensory things, mm-hmm. you know, uh, not not uh, overindulgence in sensory things, but an appreciation for you know the 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 things that produce high quality. Mm-hmm. That's that's how I'd put it. Yeah. Well, I mean, even, and we'll get to it, uh, just uh, what little bit I picked up from seeing, um, you know, the different photos that you took that night. And I mean, what you were telling me, um, while you and I and Joe were talking right there on the pier, it's like you're, uh, the way that you approach it is, no, it's going to be real, it's going to be gritty, it's not, okay, smile for the camera. Right. No, let me catch you right, I want to catch you. Yeah. I, don't want, I don't want you, like, here's the camera, look. Yeah, no. You know, let's not do that. Yeah, those those are good. Uh, maybe well, just one of them because you know if if you smile for the camera, chances are you're going to smile the same way at the same angle for the camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you're going to be thinking about the same thing. You're going to be thinking about smiling, mm-hmm. and then whatever else that typically brings up. But if you're not, you know, if you're not, if you're able to tune the camera out, well then that's you. Mm-hmm. You know, and even even if it. Uh, I've uh, gone down to the Rose Garden and photographed people down there because uh, there's so much. It's not just the roses. There's this other place over to the side with all these trees and uh, different kinds. and It's just good scenery. Mm-hmm. Some of that stuff looks looks like not Starkville even. It's weird. But it's a really cool place. And if it's just me and somebody else, you know, then it's we're carrying on conversation. That's how you do it, mm-hmm. you know, to tune the camera out. Yeah, and then you know you can see him thinking, and they're not thinking about the camera. Yeah. They're thinking about something. That's, maybe we're not even talking about photos. You know, we're talking yeah. about whatever. Yeah. And uh, th- those in between moments, um, that's one side of a person. Mm-hmm. You know, everything that's sort of in between, like the look on somebody's face when they're thinking, and generally, if you get enough of those, then you get a good sample of that side of the person. Mm-hmm. You know, and then. Then you know they get to the end of a thought, and maybe maybe it's funny, maybe they're laughing, but that's a real laugh. You know? mm-hmm. 
maybe the, the, what we've been talking about is a sad. Maybe they're re recounting something that's sad. And, uh, you can see that. And um, some of the stuff I did not expect to see. I'll get a set of photos and I'll put them all up on a computer screen and scroll through them and I can see them all there side by side. Some of that stuff has been a surprise. Some of that stuff has left me with questions. And, and in one particular instance, I, I spoke with another person who knew this person I photographed. And they filled in some of the blanks for me. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You know, mm -hmm. that, they're working in the healthcare field. And oh, my, the things that they faced. Mm -hmm. you know, that explains some of this. See it in their eyes? Oh, yeah. You know, it's written on the whole face. And, but there's so much honor in that, you know. And uh, uh, that's, that's a different story than, well, this person is just feeling low just because they always feel low. Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with that. But, you know, when you can fill, fill in some of the blanks. And then, of course, it's, it's not hard to appreciate a smile, you know. Right. So uh, getting those that are really in the moment, that's important to me. I think that's the example of high quality. That's what I'm looking for, you know. And uh, I'm getting there with the photos. Yeah, man. I feel like I'm getting there. Yeah, I've, seen, I've gone back and looked at some more of your work since uh, the night that we met, and it's impressive. And it's, I know uh, she's in New York, and I think you and her are the only two I know that do it that way to where it's, I want to capture you, uh, not this candid smile for the camera, but like, I want you. And I don't care if this takes 30 minutes or 45 yeah. or however long. Like, let's forget about the camera and I'm going to write what it needs to strike at will. Yeah. Yeah, and you, you know, if you get enough of those, then yeah, you, you, got, you got a good sample, you know. You right. got a good uh, set that tells a story. Mm -hmm. There comes the person's story. They haven't uttered a word into the, you know, into the camera. Mm -hmm. Other than, I just think that's really cool. You know, it's the the, the phrase of picture. Uh, it's worth a thousand words. That's comes true. To mind, but uh, I think it's a little more than that. <laughs> yeah, especially if you know them. You know, if, uh, I have photographed very few people that I don't know at least a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, just a few, uh, just a few. But even then, I can see some of what their story is telling me, you know. Anyway. I guess that would go back to the example of the healthcare worker, right? That kind of troubled you a little bit? Oh, yeah. But then as you got to know them a little bit more, asking someone else, it kind of made it a little easier? Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, because uh, literally there were two pictures side by side, and... and uh, the, the difference was just shocking. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but I can relate to that because sometimes, you know, there's memories that come and go, you know. They don't necessarily hang around for a long time, all the time. You know, you, if you, especially if you're around somebody else and now this is a distraction from this, this awful memory or whatever. Right. But, but yet there was the presence of this challenging memory, whatever it was, and, and it wrote itself on oh, face. Yeah. Man, let's get back out to LA. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> what, uh, what, what came next? What caused you to leave there? Um, let's see, I was out there for three years and 
I could see by the third year that I wasn't going to finish in four, and it's enormously expensive out there. So mm -hmm. I said, well, if I can't finish it in four here, then I'm going to take it back home. I can stretch it out a little further, mm -hmm. back a lot further back home. So, uh, so that's what I did. Came back here uh, and enrolled at MSU, mm -hmm. and um, the there were two things. If I'm telling the whole story here, there were two things. One was the difference in the academic programs between the two schools. That that became a different experience right quick. You know, uh, different curriculum, different teachers, uh, different environment, different culture altogether. It was a culture shock in reverse, no doubt about it. It was crazy and unexpected, and uh, so there's that which kind of weighed my interest down. I, I became a lot less interested in philosophy. Mm -hmm. And um, then the other thing was uh, the, the steam to, you know, the, the motivation. The, this is tied up with the interest a little bit, but uh, the, the motivation to study went way down. So uh, I kind of didn't know what to do after a year. And uh, the other thing that I had going on was music. So I talked, I went over to the music building and figured out who's the drum guy over here, you know? And that was Dr. Uh, none other than Bob Dom. And I, that was the first time I met him and he was so kind. And uh, he saw that, that, you know, I was struggling with motivation and that the academics had suffered as a result of that. And mm -hmm. I didn't have much direction. He saw all that, you know? That was an important thing. He's still my friend at this very day. Yeah. Yeah. I photographed him not long ago out nice. at McKee Park. Really good guy. One of the best teachers I have ever had for anything. And I say that because he has this really innate ability to meet the student where they are. Mm -hmm. And I've seen him do it in all kinds of different topics and different engagements and whatever. It doesn't have to be music. You know, he's just a great teacher, you know. Mm -hmm. But he'll meet the student wherever they are, and uh, it doesn't matter. You know, there's. It's not like he's condescending. Some some teachers have this authoritarian approach. You know, <coughs> sometimes that's good and right, and sometimes I think it's not. But he doesn't. You know, uh, he meets the student where they are, and then uh, he guides them from where they are, wherever it is that they need to go. You know, and uh, gets them to participate and so uh, anyway that I, I met with Bob Dom back then and started to uh, started a music major mm -hmm. it was that one year I was a music music major <laughs> and that was the end of it uh, for a while so uh, yeah I learned uh, but it got your bit, drive back a little bit a little bit I, I, I definitely poured a lot of time and energy into uh, music and learning new things drum mm -hmm. set came in back then a little bit, uh, but a lot more uh, broadening with Dr. Tom. And uh, so, yeah, it wasn't long after that, I was like, okay, what am, I, you know, I looked at the layout, you know, curriculum layout, and I'm thinking, okay, well, I knew I could stretch it out, but this is gonna take a long time. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I'm spinning my wheels and I don't really wanna be a band director, you know. That's kind of, kind of back, back then anyway, that's what, 
music programs in state here tended to produce mm-hmm. was uh, band directors or the like. And I was like, well, I, I love music, but I don't, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I have great admiration for my band directors coming up. It's just not something I thought I could do, you know. I'm, I'm not into the, I'm just not into all that. <laughs> so, um, anyway, my mom uh, was a, a career counselor at the high school in Columbus. Mm-hmm. And uh, she, uh, my goodness, I, I, I know, looking back now, I've drug her through all these changes of course and rough turns and twists in the road. Uh, she has endured all of it and uh, is a saint. Any, you ask anybody that knows her, they'll say probably more than that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she, she's incredible. And she had um, uh, orchestrated a career fair for the high school. There were military recruiters involved and she got to talking okay. with the army guy and he made mention of the army band. And so that was how that got started. She mentioned that to me and I looked into it and talked with the guy and we figured out how to do it, how to audition. And I went and auditioned at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, home of the 101st Airborne Division. Mm-hmm. And uh, my goodness, I had to go and uh, spruce up a few things, but I went back after doing that and they were like, come on. So I did when I was basic training. <laughs> That's cool, man. See, I didn't even know that. Uh, I didn't even know that was a thing. Like when you, we didn't either. <laughs> it was a surprise. But and yeah. so you would do drums. Yeah, I went in on the drums. Okay. Yeah, and I kept it a secret for a while. Not really, but I just I didn't say anything too much about being able to play the guitar. Yeah. Because. Uh, <laughs> Fort Campbell, I chose Fort Campbell as my first duty station. They gave me a, a list to choose from, and I, I chose that one. Mm-hmm. And um, so by the time I was there for a little while, it was pretty clear there was a lot of uh, jazz band type of stuff. I did a little of that in high school, and it really didn't like playing jazz. So I didn't want to get stuck doing the gigs that the guitar player didn't want to do, so I, I just mm-hmm. kept my mouth shut for a while until they wanted to organize a rock band uh, for which I volunteered. Mm-hmm. And then the cat was out of the bag. And then I had to play with the jazz band. <laughs> so I had to do it anyway. <laughs> Not too much, but, but that definitely happened. Yeah. yeah. I remember playing uh, uh, that, uh, what's the guy's name? I'll never remember it in time. But it's a rockabilly, whatever his name is. He's a swift guitar player. So that's, that, was, that was hard, but I learned it. It was just, uh, anyway, I, I didn't want to do much of that, so. Yeah. We got the rock band going, and I wound up in my time at Fort Campbell probably playing more guitar than I did drums. It was fun. So, I mean, just, just a little bit about what that looked like. So, um, they had y'all going all over the world to these different bases and playing for morale, or? Well, uh, the, the Army band field is divided into two basic categories. Mm-hmm. There's the uh, different names. Sometimes you'll hear it called a top band or a premier band, and there's a handful of those that are sprinkled around. 
one of two of those are in DC, uh, and and one of those two is called the Old Guard Fife and Drums, and all they do is dress up in these old colonial outfits with the white wigs. And, mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, fifes, uh, bugles, and drums, and that I believe is it. And they do all kinds of ceremonies, and it's difficult to get into that one. And uh, then there's the wind band, which I. Oh goodness, I can't remember the proper name for it. I, I, I want to call it President's Own, but I think that's the Marine flavor. Anyway, it's it's some it's the equivalent of that. Then there's a few uh, on one tier down. There's like three of them uh, spread out. Command bands, I think they call them. Then the, the other ca other category is uh, essentially field bands that are distributed among several of the large bases. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember how many of them there there are. Something like, let's just say 20, something like that, 20 different bands. The band at 101st is one of those. Uh, there, there were others at uh, Augusta. There was, the ones that I was in were uh, Texas. I went to the one in Alabama. Uh, I think there's another one in Alabama now. But I started at Fort Campbell and spent most of my time there. Yeah, so um, uh, we wouldn't go all over the world or anything like that. Uh, most of most of the time, we'd be playing ceremonies or uh, gatherings or something mm -hmm. on on base or in the nearby area. And okay. then sometimes there was the recruiting mission, whereby we'd go out into the community, like down to Nashville or something like that, and give a community concert. We do that once or twice or three times a year, something like that. Fourth, big Fourth of July to do, you know. Oh yeah. Yeah, and then we went to Iraq. So, uh, what about Iraq? Well, yeah, we formed up a rock band in order to take that over there, and in Iraq. Um, well, I guess I should say that uh, at Fort Campbell. And at any army post, the, the bandsman, the primary duty is musician, and that's the MOS. But there's secondary duties as well, and that's not just uh, working in a shop of some kind, but the soldier skills, you know, marksmanship, mm -hmm. uh, field exercises, all that stuff. So we were prepared, and um, we, uh, over in Iraq, there was a musical mission. There was also a guard duty mission, I think is the best way to, to say it. And um, we went over there and uh, started out for a month in Kuwait. And anyway, the, uh, the music that we played over there by and large was for morale, and that was a lot of fun. It was, it was uh, I count that among, among some of the best experiences I've ever had musically. Mm -hmm. The, the guard duty, uh, it, it's, you know, it's guard duty. Put on body armor, you know. There's mortars. There's uh, people cutting holes in the in the outer perimeter. You know, you got to find that stuff. You got to get out there. And uh, gate guard, that kind of stuff. I've got a lot of pictures. You know, I've got a hard drive full of pictures. I, I took uh, a camera over there with me. Kept it in my pocket most of the time, my side pocket, in my pants. And, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, tons of pictures. 
there was um, a lot of touring around over there. So typically that meant getting in a helicopter, loading up all the equipment, depending on what chopper it was, we'd load two of them. And um, going off somewhere, you know, which was uh, a mixture, you know, that that's something that I had to learn over the years, it's a mixture. It's not all one thing or all the other, but a mixture. It was adventurous, it was a lot of fun, it was exciting, it was also very dangerous and there was times that, uh, well, there was close calls, you know. Right. Not uncommon for going over there at any point in time, even recently. Uh, but going through one of those, let alone 10, is a very personal journey, you know. And uh, the type of stuff that I just didn't tell my mom, you know, she don't need to know about that. I've since told her a little bit, but yeah, um, yeah. So you know, all that mixed together in this wild stew, and uh, I, I looking back on that now, uh, that gives me a very uh, unique, not just set of memories, but set of experiences that I have built upon. Yeah, and uh, I count them as a blessing. There have been challenges, you know, a lot of challenges, uh, some of which had consequences, mm -hmm. you know, personal, interpersonal consequences. You know, there, there's some people I don't talk to today because I ran my mouth, you know what I mean? Like, like look at any one of these Vietnam documentaries and you'll know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I had a, uh, a good friend of mine, he graduated two years before I did in high school and he joined um, Marines and it was around that time he was sent to Iraq and I remember uh, he served uh, one tour duty and he came home for a short spell I didn't get to see him and immediately it seemed like went back and when he came back uh, he came to the house it was one of the first places he came and man it was uh he just wasn't the same. Yeah. And like the things that he saw, and I, I, it has to be because I have no, no kind of experience like that. And this is like the way that he would talk about things and describe things is like, I guess that that probably really helped him to deal with that reality because that reality is a lot darker. Mm -hmm. Because he was, he would tell these stories about these uh, the coffee can bombs, mm -hmm. like IED types, going right through these armored cars. Mm -hmm. And that was his job, so he was a driver. Yeah. Or he was in those he was in those vehicles going through these cities. And um, just some of the stories he would tell is like, man, you know, 10 years ago, us in high school, would you ever, would you ever thought that you would see something like that? It's like we're watching some kind of a movie and you're, you're telling the plot, man. Yeah, there's a whole lot of adventure. There's all kind of danger. Man, I'm glad you're here. Yeah. But it's, it has to do a lot to the mind. Yeah. Roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, and I know a lot of uh, a lot of people don't like talking about it. I know. Uh, I look at it from the human point of view mm. 
as well as the first-hand experience point of view. And I can see and, and appreciate both of them. I don't know that everybody wants to look from both those point of views. And uh, my experience uh, with other people who have been through it, there's only a few that are open to talking about it, you know. I've run into so many more who just, they, that's the last thing they want to even think about. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate and understand that. And mm -hmm. I try to be sensitive about it and whatever. But uh, I'm a big fan of sharing about it, you know. Yeah. And um, a big fan of uh, the way that it helps you to sort of uh, balance out, you know. It has a lasting effect. Mm -hmm. has, I think a permanent effect in, in helping to compress some of the roller coaster you know, mind things, uh, and, you know, just connect with people a little better to help reconnect the pathways in the brain that get hardwired, you know, or, or bypassed, I should say. Mm -hmm. uh, it is possible, and uh, it takes a lot of work. It still does, you know. If I don't do it, well, I'll suffer. Mm -hmm. So um, I try to do it. Right. And I try to share about it. So, um, I I also see that my experiences, they they fit into the spectrum of all experiences at war, not just in Iraq, but in, in these other wars, and that I am lucky, not only that I'm here, but that I didn't have to, you know, go swimming in that darkness very much. I didn't have to go and, and be mired in it and be stuck in it and mm -hmm. have somebody bleeding out on me. I didn't have to do that. I didn't have to kill anybody even. So I know guys that did, mm -hmm. you know, and I know uh, uh, I know what the look on their face is, you know. I can tell you right now what their in-between moments would be if I photographed them, you know. And, and it doesn't, it doesn't shock me. I'm not worried about them or anything. It just is, mm -hmm. and they're still here, and they have their way of, you know, coping and, and going on about things and building, and uh, there's nothing at all wrong with how, my opinion is that there's nothing wrong with how anybody does it, save for the self-destructive stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't agree with that at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing is, uh, I, I think that's the biggest one of the biggest hurdles for a human is, um, I mean, if let's take a soldier when they've taken a life, and they're still here, like uh, my friend, he's he's he said it was you know it was kill or be killed a lot of times for him, felt that way, mm -hmm. and he's still here, but they're not. Mm -hmm. And when he was first coming back talking about it, it was like that was always the well, some some nights it was easier than others to talk about, you know. And uh, I mean, I couldn't imagine because I, I would never want to take another one's life. You know? That'd be hard. Yeah, and have to live with it. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of people pour beer on that, and I would never begrudge anybody for doing that. I've done it myself. Um, I hate it to see when someone gets stuck in that can't do anything else, mm -hmm. can't pick up any other conversation, you know, other than the one they had with the beer, can't pick up any other tools, you know, that is the thing that I, I regardless of experience, you know, I mean, that that's the thing that will kill anybody, 
Yeah. It will kill your efforts, you know. Uh, it, it'll take all the energy that you can throw at it. And so that's what I mean by the self-destructive yeah. types of things. And, it's addictions and yeah. coping yeah, and unhealthily. Yeah, it, it takes a lot of people after the fact, you mm-hmm. know. And um, not just that, but it takes opportunities, you know. There's uh, presence as one of them, availability, emotional availability, you know, these, these people with families and um, someone who would otherwise be there. I, I want to say it is what it is, but I don't think that sums it up. I think that uh, there's somebody that needs to hear they can get through it, you know. Mm-hmm. There's somebody that needs to hear that uh, it is possible to feel better. Because that's the problem, you know what I mean? Like going through, talking about those things, uh, it, it gets you in a bad spot. But that rains down on everything else after you're done talking about it. You know, that's what keeps you up at night. That's what makes you feel depressed, whether whether it is, whether somebody knows it or not. They're connecting the dots, whether they're connecting those dots that's the thing that carries over yeah. and, and, and creates this undercurrent of depression and creates the undercurrent of anxiety, you know. There's a way to get at it. There is a way, you know. Some people, they don't believe that. I, I, I've told that to this guy uh, in Columbus. He's not, in fact, a Vietnam vet. He, he, um, he was somehow involved back then, but point is, uh, he had such ingrained habits over so many years that uh, he didn't want to hear it and he, and he wouldn't hear it. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's frightening to me. Somebody you care about and, and they're not willing to even listen, you know, uh, it's dangerous. But there is a way. Uh, there, there is something that you can do about it, you know, to, to be functional, to be uh, not be feeling so bad, really, and uh, to get through. You know, it'll never be the same. It'll never be perfect. That's okay. It doesn't have to be perfect. Right. But but if you if you have a few spots where it's better, I think that's way better than nothing at all. Yeah. Capitalize there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm glad. I'm grateful that. Um, I mean, I'll be honest. I'm grateful I didn't have to go through some of what these people I know and your friend. Mm-hmm. I'd be lying if I if I said that uh, if I said otherwise. Uh, I'm grateful that I didn't have to do that. I think, though, that that gives me a responsibility to to put out a helping hand, you know, and say, "Hey, man, it's going to be all right." Or mm-hmm. here's what you can do, you know. Or I think more importantly, I appreciate what you've done. You know, I, I recognize what you're going through. And just to say that, hey, you're not alone. With a war buddy or, or somebody who had been to war or whatever. It was from a love relationship during that time. And, uh, you know, you can't, uh, you can't fix some things 
you know, you have to let the other person fix things, whatever it is or isn't that they do or don't, you know, mm -hmm. their problems. And uh, just accept. It's a hard, you know, because that might mean loss. That might mean that uh, somebody gets hurt or hurts themselves, you know, or, or goes away mm -hmm. and not here. Maybe it means that they uh, get hurt in a wreck or something like that, or they just, you know, you have to think about all that is what I'm saying. I did, and, and figure out how to accept. And uh, I think really that's, for me personally, that's the most important thing, just to be accepting of whatever it is that, that uh, somebody's going through and uh, allow them just to be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, apart from, you know, it might be uh, relational issues, it might be health issues, it could be uh, job issues. I mean, you don't you don't know what kind of stress or uh, whatever the person is going through. Right. Like if my I share an office at work too. If uh, if my the guy I share an office with, if he comes through the front door with an attitude, hey, I just let it be. You know, maybe by ten o'clock it'll cool off. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't I don't know if it came from home. I don't know if it's me, but I'm gonna give him a couple hours. Yeah. You know. <laughs> That's right, it'll turn around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, cool. <laughs> well, man, uh, just how long, um, how long would you be over there in Iraq before coming home? Or? That was uh, altogether about 10 months. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a couple of weeks in the middle there where I got to come home. And uh, that, uh, I remember that real vividly. Just a couple of weeks, but man, it was a roller coaster. Yeah. <laughs> I bet. I mean, yeah, you mentioned like close calls. Was there ever times up in the helicopter when you felt like, oh crap? Yeah, we get shot at yeah. up there at night. Yeah, definitely. And and uh, still do once in a while, you know. Looking back on that, or or not even intentionally looking back on that. Mm -hmm. Here it comes, you know. Yeah, I still do. Not always a bad thing, sometimes uh, very inconvenient though. There was a time uh, I built my first guitar amp and uh, <coughs> everything was all together and I was pretty obsessive about checking everything, mm -hmm. all the connections, you know, all the, the cleanliness, the, uh, then, you know, the mechanical cleanliness then the electrical cleanliness and, uh, you know, getting out the multimeter, checking the continuity, making sure that I have connection where I want it and none where I don't. I, oh my goodness. I, I don't even, I have no idea how many hours I spent just checking it before putting the power on it at mm -hmm. all. And, uh, you know, I even, oh my goodness, you know, the, the chassis that you build this, this amp upon is, a conductor and it's electrically connected to ground for a reason. It's also continuous with your guitar strings. So this is all connected to ground, you know. So from the from the uh, from an engineering point of view, from a technical point of view, from an academic point of view, there's no risk. This is definitely connected to ground. 
you cannot develop a voltage on it. You know, well, I checked it anyway. <laughs> uh -huh. I'm, I'm not touching these trees till I check it. You know, and when the power was on it. Anyway, you know, I'm sitting there just thinking about what could go wrong, what could go wrong. And this is one of the outcomes of, uh, you know, going through war, all those experiences. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? You pick out what could go wrong. Mm -hmm. And um, then the imagination takes over and things that really, in theory, can't go wrong. You check them anyway. Yeah. Because stranger things have happened. So I'm thinking about all these things that could possibly go wrong. And uh, I'm looking at these huge electrolytic capacitors, which they, they store the main charge for the amplifier. And there's uh, fluid inside of them. Mm -hmm. And if they uh, get overstressed, they can pop. And so that was one of the things that I imagined. And there they are staring at me. So I said, well, I'll just use a towel as a shield, you know. So I did, and here I am with my guitar, and I'm holding up a towel in between me and the amplifier. I don't want to touch the, the metal on switch, so I find a piece of rubber to <laughs> wrap around it. So yeah, I can throw the switches. And Anyway, I sat there negotiating with myself for a long time. Turned it on, two in the morning it is by that time. And uh, it worked, it worked the first time. And I was uh, ecstatic about that. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, there was one little issue that I did find that needed a, needed some fixing, but no big deal. But, in, you know, in those moments, I felt like I was facing a grizzly bear. That amp. And uh, the, the open chassis with in excess of 500 volts, and um, there it was staring at me, you know. And in those moments, I was very... Um, surprised by the memory of being in the helicopter and the bright green flare popping off the side in the middle of the night and we we're flying low and uh, circle around and the door gunner is going and then the tail gunner gets involved and now we're throwing magazines at the door gunner because he's expended all the ammo that he had on him and this green flare is lighting up everything on the ground just, just like Christmas you can mm -hmm. see clear. Well that's what came to visit me um, trying to turn on the guitar amp which had a grisly aspect to it you know mm -hmm. and I could uh, after the fact look back on it and identify what was happening which was this interconnection of memories and um, deal with it accordingly you know so that's what I mean by unexpected and sneaking up and you can't always call it. There's very few times I've been able to call it, but uh, occasionally those, those will really sneak up on me. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, the guitar amp sounded great. It still does. It's sitting in my living room now. That's great, man. Um, so much fun. <laughs> when I was at Shelton State doing that industrial uh, electronics, we would have these, uh, you know, the breadboards and you draw circuits out yeah, and build yeah. different things. And um, I don't know, the, the guy would typically uh, always sit next to, uh, he was a bit of a prankster. And um, <laughs> he had, uh, he just 
more, he decided that he was going to throw like just a ton of, he was going to amplify the votes, like multiply, 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 multiply. Oh and he had a guy in that class that he didn't like. And he was like, I built a taser here. I want you to try it. And I, that dude was about to put his hand on it. And I was like, no, no, not right here. I was like, dude, what is wrong with you? Yeah. It's like, we, we don't do this. No. <laughs> That's awful. And I was like, man, but the, I mean, it was, you know, it was a group of like 12 of us in this class doing all these different things and always pranking each other. But I mean, it would be like extremely low amperage and extremely low voltage for the most of the time. It'd yeah. be harmless. But this guy had like amped it. Yeah. I was like, no, 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 no. Well, that would have reached out and bit him. That's for sure. My goodness. But I, I know what you're talking about, you know, just going back to, uh, you know, building that amp and checking everything when I was building that voice changer. Oh, yeah. um, man, it was just every little thing, but down to the component, you know, looking at the transit, did I get the right one, did I, did I put the legs right? Mm -hmm. Just, oh, it, it, and like looking back, I was like, yeah, it was way too tedious. It probably could have been a lot quicker. And, but I didn't get shocked and it worked was, the first time. There we go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a payoff, you yeah. know. Be meticulous. Did it take two weeks too long? Probably. Yeah. It took a little, little bit extra time, but it worked the first time. Yeah. Still does. Yeah, that's it. Right on. Well, man, so uh, to get to tube, our tube amps or amplifiers and uh, the engineering side of things, how'd you get there? Well, uh, <clears throat> after the Army, I went back to MSU uh, eventually. And um, there were, well, I went back to school. I would get mired in the details here, but uh, 2013 I started EE. And uh, I, I didn't go with the purpose of figuring out anything musical, but I went with the purpose that um, I know this is an aptitude that matches with me. Does your father? Or? Yeah, I have this natural skill in this area, and I need to check it out. Yeah. In you fact, think that would go all the way back to your earliest interest when you were really into science and math before swapping over to history? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I knew, uh, I knew back then that if I had gone to Mississippi State, I would do engineering. Mm -hmm. That was that was assured. But even before that, when I was a kid, my dad would build things. He built these speaker cabinets for our church, and they were taller than me. Mm -hmm. And oh my goodness, it's Sunday morning. He went to test them before church, and turned them on the stereo and cranked it. And blow oh, your hair back. Oh my God, that's where the this thing. I, I use that phrase every once in a while. Blow your hair back. Yeah, yeah, that's the definition of it. For me. <laughs> like that that old commercial in the nineties. Guy sitting on the uh, on the chair, and uh, it's, a, it's some one of those tape commercials. Max, what does what do they call that? Oh my goodness, we're talking about tapes, cassette tape. Uh -huh. You know. <laughs> anyway, with those commercials, and he's sitting in front of the TV, and his hair is just oh yeah. Anyway, it was like that, and I knew my dad could do it, and was was into it. And, so, yeah, I knew 
that I had some these skills that needed to be exercised and I had that was the one direction that I didn't go because I knew I could already do that that was not interesting you know so a conversation with my uncle the summer prior to that we were throwing around ideas and I had some off-the-wall ones that probably would not have worked very well mm-hmm. and, but he had this idea about uh, avionics and um, I was very interested in, in all that and he, he said man you're good at math you can you can do this so I looked up some job listings and read about them and uh, EE was a common thread there so I said well there it is there we go here's all the dots and they, they they're connected so let's do it and went back in there and got busy very busy right away and stayed busy mm-hmm. and uh, got to one of the intermediate circuits classes and we're in the lab and uh, every week it's a, n- a new breadboard and uh, a new lab and we made it around through all kinds of transistors operational amplifiers the whole gamut every every one there is and uh, <coughs> built various circuits we'd always put a uh, alternating waveform through on the input just as a fundamental controlled input mm-hmm. a thousand Hertz at uh, one volt peak to peak, something like that. So we know what we're putting in, and now let's relate what we're getting out to what we're putting in. Mm-hmm. Is this what we'd expect and why? And I'm looking at this on there, and I'm like, well, this is in the audio spectrum, you know, uh, but I'm not hearing it. I want to hear it. How clean does that sound, you know? And so uh, when that class was over, I had some spare time, I went home and put together just a basic transistor circuit mm-hmm. and uh, put some audio type filters. But we're not talking about mind-blowing. This is not complicated. It's textbook type stuff. But I, what I did was hunt a little further with, with an eye for quality, with an ear for quality. And uh, I couldn't believe it. What I constructed on breadboard was just enough to have a quarter inch input and output for the guitar cables and then everything in the middle. And I think uh, the first one actually had a switch that would, uh, uh, I don't remember what option I was switching in, but there was some variability that I built into the breadboard. And anyway, uh, I heard it and clarity was the very first thing that I noticed and I couldn't believe it because I was under the assumption that uh, silicon in, in any transistor has got its limits and it does but I thought they were much lower and um, comparing it with with the vacuum tube the, the frequency limits are, are uh, much higher and broader on a vacuum tube much higher and broader mm-hmm. so I didn't figure I was going to be getting that kind of clarity granted we're in the audio spectrum one thing I learned very soon thereafter was that there's an effect. You know, sometimes people ask, "Well, why does it matter if an amplifi- any amplification device or system? Why does it matter if it can amplify things that you can't hear?" And um, it does matter not in in the mathematical analytical way 
there's there's a way to, to analyze this stuff mathematically that says, well, each segment of higher frequency adds up, you know, uh, essentially when you when you when you break it down about it, the simplest I can put it is that when you when you segment the frequency band, they will add up in a mathematical way, and that's just pure math. Mm -hmm. It's not that. But if, if an amplification device can go way far in frequency, then what it can do in the audio band is complete and full. It's a very good indication when it has tons of frequency to offer that what it offers in the audio band is going to be real high quality. And that's as short as I can put it. So uh, that, that's what I learned. Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that this thing can, uh, or anything like it, can uh, go so high in frequency is really just a function of the way that it's built on the silicon. That's it. And uh, uh, not all of them do it. Only certain types do it. So uh, they're built for that purpose. It was not a musical purpose that these transistors were designed and, and manufactured for. But it turns out that they're very good at it. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, that's what I that's what I got a hold of back then. I said, "Woo! I know a hundred guitar players that would have as much fun as I'm having playing this uh -huh. thing." You know. So I said, "Well, that's reason enough to put it in an enclosure and make a pedal." <laughs> so I did. Yeah. And it was a lot of fun. And so we're talking just it's a amplifier pedal to where it's, it'd be a standalone, right? No, um, for Amplification. Well, you need a speaker. A what? Well, well, you could have one on the pedal, I guess. It wouldn't be very big, though. Right. Uh, I guess, the, technically speaking, you could, but it wouldn't be a very loud amplifier. Right. You need to have some power amplification mm -hmm. to go along with it. That's why you put it in front of a guitar amplifier, because the power amplifier is in the yeah. guitar. You got the watch to push it. Yes. Yes, absolutely. You need to run a lot of current through a larger speaker. So, uh, yes, you could put a speaker uh, in front of it and, and hear it, and uh, it would work. It just wouldn't be very loud. Yeah. So, uh, um, anyway, I had a, 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 the amp that I was playing back then was a VHT combo, mm -hmm. combo amp, and it wasn't bad at all. But, um, it sounded a lot better with this pedal in front of it. It sounded a lot more like a thousand dollar amp or a vintage amp or, you know, that's what I wanted out of a tube amp. And so I had to go and figure out why is this happening? You know, it didn't make sense at first because I would, I would have expected that if the guitar amp doesn't sound good, you can't put anything in front of it that makes it sound better. Right. Essentially. Uh, because the reason it doesn't sound good is it's dropping out all the good stuff in its guts, to put it short. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is not necessarily the case. That's what I discovered. So putting that circuit in front of that amp made that amp sound real good mm -hmm. and pushed it too because there's a gain adjustment. That's the one knob on that thing is a gain knob, it's not a volume knob. It's literally voltage gain. So uh, 
you turn it up and I think it'll give you, uh, I, I'd have to look now, but it was something like 21 decibels total from uh, all the way down, which is a basically unity to all the way up. And that, on the front end of the guitar amplifier, gets multiplied many more times. So, um, holy smokes, that yeah. it bent that thing over and made it cry, you know. <laughs> it just made it scream. And, uh, yeah, so in my spare time thereafter, I uh, started making them in batches. And first ones I gave out to friends. And uh, along in there somewhere, I gave a handful over to the uh, guys at Backstage Music, mm -hmm. Alan over there, talked with him, and he said he'd like to try and sell them. And so he did. I can't remember how many I wound up selling over there. Not that many. I'm sure that I could have sold more if I had had time to make more. But uh, after I graduated, I went came right up here to work and uh, in Starkville. And, uh, my spare time went away. Right. So uh, I haven't made a whole lot of those pedals, just a handful uh, since then. Occasionally somebody asks me about it and I'll make time to mm -hmm. to make some. I can make time, you know, but yeah. uh, you know how it is. So um, in between there is where the tube amps came in after I had built several batches of these pedals. It was towards the end of one of those semesters in school and my time began to open up again and I decided well, I'm, I, there's no need to scramble for things to do. I got ideas here. Let's mm -hmm. get busy. So when you were looking at these tube amps, what was you looking for? Was it going back to putting that pedal in front of that tube amp? And it's like, why is this making it sound better? Are we going to try to figure out what was getting lost inside? Or? No, I had already worked on that and was satisfied with what I found in terms of the reasons, mm -hmm. the, the electrical reasons. I wanted a, a tube amp because... Being able to have the sound that I was getting putting that pedal in front of that tube amp, and I, and I say that tube amp because it's not the same for every single tube amp, you know. Uh, it, it, if a tube amp sounds bad, it will breathe life into it. If a tube amp sounds kind of medium or me, maybe mediocre, maybe okay, whatever, it'll make it sound real good. Mm -hmm. If a tube amp already has it, it's not going to do that much for it. Uh, it will push it and make it feedback better. On the on the flip side, it won't take anything away. It won't, uh, you know, rob it of any of its characteristics. Uh -huh. Well, what I wanted was okay. I, I can see how to get this sound by essentially modifying this guitar amp system by putting the pedal in front of it. Well, I want to have a system that doesn't need any modification. I want to have that sound as pure, you know, and. I had already years ago, or years before that, I'd played, uh, it was a clone of a train wreck amplifier, and I played it, and I thought that's the nicest sounding amp I've ever touched or heard or played or anything, mm -hmm. and it was, my goodness. It was a clone of a train wreck express. And by then I had looked into the history of train wreck and Ken Fisher and, um, uh, you know, gotten eyes on some of the interpretations of the design. Now is that Fisher? Is he the same guy that would go on to uh, 
make acoustic guts for making them acoustic electric with all that Fisher? Do you know? No, I think that's different. Uh, um, I, I'm not sure if you are, if you're thinking of uh, Fishman. Yeah, Fishman. That's yeah, that's, it. that's a different yeah. system. But this guy, he he started out at Ampeg in the seventies. He actually started out in the Navy. He was a Navy cat, electronics mm -hmm. in the Navy. Seems like most of those guys are, you know. It is. Uh, <laughs> it has a really good history, you know. The the Navy electronics program. In fact, my dad's manuals. They, I I don't know where they are, but they are still, you know. I, I got a hold of some of them, and they're extensive. You know, they weren't fooling around, mm -hmm. and. Um, that's a good purpose. Dad worked on radar systems on the ships. He had to learn how to do that, you know, and that's not trivial. Right. So, um, there, I think, is where the equivalency to engineering steps right in. You, you either have it or you don't, and you either go and exercise it or you wash out. So, Ken Fisher was another one of those, and uh, I can't remember what he said he worked on, but it's out there somewhere. In the Navy, he after that went on to Ampeg. He worked for Ampeg Amplification for a while, and he was uh, behind some of their sounds in the '70s, and then struck out on his own sometime in there. I, I don't remember when, but mm -hmm. uh, by his own words in an interview that you can easily find on YouTube, it was uh, a friend of his asked him to build an amp for him, something that was unique, and he did. And before he could turn around, he had all these people coming who had heard that amp. His friend had gone out and played around town with it. They were coming to ask him, can you oh. build it? Can, yeah, because it was that good. It was that quality, mm -hmm. sensory experience. And uh, that's, that's what I got when I played a clone of one of these amps. And uh, that's what I'm after. It's just a key ingredient, you know. If there's a sensory experience, like a quality, something that you remember, something that you connect with, really, mm -hmm. and that's true for for anything that I really get into, you know, it's the sensory experience. So, yeah, he went on to make these. Those amps, now he, di he died in 2006. He caught, sometime in the 90s, he caught a bad case of flu. And I don't know what it did to him, but it, it messed him up and he never recovered. Mm -hmm. He just stayed ill. And that finally uh, ended him in 2006. So uh, he, I don't know how many amps he made. He had some help, he, a few people as a crew. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I don't know how many they made. But it wasn't like Fender or Marshall or something like that. It wasn't some enormous production. Well, most of those were, uh, in, in one way or one detail or other, they were specific. So you could have his Express model, which had some, all of those have, you know, the basic, they're basically the same in terms of power, 30 or 35 watts or something like that. And in the combination of tubes and the general architecture of the circuit is the same but some detail or other would be a little different. Mm -hmm. So by and large, those amps are unique. And they're still in circulation, if you can call it that. They're hard to, they don't come up very often. There's, for a long time, so that I could see what the price was doing for a, you know, a second hand or third hand Ken Fisher amp, there was this uh, shop in New York City 
ultrasound amp sales, I think was the name of it. And they used to display prices on what they had. They had somebody in there who was just a guru at going and finding these amps out there that were circulating and getting them in there and then mm -hmm. reselling them, but really renting them. But like $300 a day to rent one of these things. And the price tag, if you wanted to buy them, for a long time it was like 40 grand and you could see it go up 45 grand and there's no telling what they go for now uh, uh, unbelievable sums of cash and uh, th that is in a large part because of the sort of limited availability you know it's a sort of exclusive thing the quality and uh, the, the legendary status mm -hmm. those are all things and in terms of the quality and the design, it's not black magic. It is craftsmanship. It is the elegance of simplicity, you know. It is getting the most out of a component or a set of components or a sub-circuit. It's a design with a purpose, which uh, is carefully put together by hand, that kind of a thing. It's not mass-produced on uh, boards or components that don't support the kind of quality that you can get out of the circuit, mm -hmm. that don't uh, carry through without uh, without any eye toward losses in the sensory experience. You know, those mass-produced circuits uh, they're mass-produced because you can cut out that sensory experience and still sell it. You know. Uh, it's a lot more expensive to buy an amp that's put together by hand, mm -hmm. made one at a time. But what you get in return <coughs> is a sensory experience. It's a memorable thing. It's a unique thing. And it's an inspiring thing. Mm -hmm. So um, I value all that stuff as, as a, an appreciator of music, as an appreciator of art, as a player of music. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then, as a builder, I still appreciate that stuff. I, I absolutely comprehend mass production. I know how to do it. Uh, I'm not interested in doing it for any of the pedals, any of the amps. I'm much more interested in doing them one at a time by hand and uh, ensuring that what I'm giving out is what I'm in it for, you mm -hmm. know which is that uh, it's a great sound. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. Yeah. So um, that's fuel for the imagination and, and that's fuel for, for you know, uh, great songs. Great songs are, are limitless in their meaning. And so with all that in mind, I don't want to put any, I don't want to cut out anything, you know. Sure. Yeah, man, that makes perfect sense. I mean, it goes, it, that transistor, uh, there happens to be, what, one that, you know, I think we were talking about it the other night, and you brought it up to, this evening. Yeah. Um, there's one transistor, and it wasn't even meant for that, but it was right. perfect for it. Yeah. It's uh, crazy, like <laughs> yeah. all these little components. Uh, that was that was always some of the most interesting things when we would be on the breadboard and trying different things. Because everything I always did had, had something to do with sound. I wanted to hear it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that was the way I judged it myself. And like just trying different components, different chips, different, well, what if I'm 
put a little more resistance or, you know, uh, which my knowledge of it's not near as vast as yours. It was just, I wonder what it'll do. We'll try this. Yeah. And uh, it, it is, it's down, it's exactly that. It's, it's down to the craftsmanship, the design, the each component, circuits, sub-circuits. I mean, there's a lot to it. Mm. And even like in your design, like when you're building the box, I mean, you won't, even if it gets rattled around, you want everything to stay in place and mm -hmm. be secure. I can I can only imagine, man. It's got to be a it's got to be a love project. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's passion. Yeah, and it's it's fun. And so, going and looking for an epoxy that that was well suited to the to the task, just that by itself was fun, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. It still is whenever I do it, you know, mixing it up there, putting on gloves and. Uh, covering up the circuit and, and securing it and uh, yeah I, I love doing all that dad yeah. did too man he, he really he had he had some really good ideas about it we talked back and forth I sent him uh, enough components to build 10 of those circuits one time and uh, <laughs> if you think about an old Siamese cat that looks like he can't move around too good but then a mouse goes by and it's like a lightning bolt. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, there's life. Oh my goodness, that was bad. <laughs> One day, you know. Yeah. He got all of it done clean, no mistakes in one day, and I was like, man, I can't keep you busy. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't. I'll just be piling these things up there. <laughs> there's no way, mm -hmm. you know. And I can't afford to send you a hundred. <laughs> right. Not yet, you know. I just marvel, and I still do, and uh, it's fun, you know. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a really uh, fulfilling occupation. Yeah. Yeah. And so, with the uh, with the pedals and uh, that you've made for friends, uh, are they st they're still playing them out and still using them? Yeah. There's. Is that ever trippy? Like you go out to see them and they're using your stuff, and you're like, have a, you got you got just a little bit of hand on it? Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's it makes me smile for sure. Yeah, it is fun. Uh, there's one guy I'm thinking of in particular, Caleb Childs. I made him one, um, and he still plays it. He, I put uh, Crawler on the front of it. That's his nickname. And um, yeah, uh, there's quite a few people that have said they don't turn it off. They they leave it on. And I understand that from uh, two perspectives, the technical perspective and the player's perspective, because uh, anytime playing that VHT amp of mine, I put it in front of it. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to not. Mm -hmm. It just gives it so much more life. So I understand that, and I would just always leave it on. You know, the only thing that I would ever do is uh, change the game. And you can do that with your toe. I mean. I don't see any reason not to, but yeah. some people prefer to. There's a guy, a buddy, uh, who has, I think he has three, but he would put it in different parts. He's a lot of pedals, and, and oh, he yeah. used to put one up at the front end and then another one down some other path. You know, he had a different game setting on it down there. That's convenient and everything. And there's ways that you can, you know, there's there's all kinds of ways that I could set it up that I could make them, you know, with options and all this stuff. Uh, but I, I like the, just the simplicity, that the one at a time, you know, 
put a different color on each one, you know, mm -hmm. put a different sort of artwork on each one, which was a whole different process. It was also fun. It's, it still is. It's a little tedious, but getting the decals on them, which you can print, you know, they make yeah. this printer paper that's actually a decal, mm -hmm. uh, the water slide decal. And you can print anything in any color and uh, cut them out. And, uh, it's very personable. And yeah. <laughs> You put some clear coat over it and make them stay put, <clears throat> get some shine. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm not good at drawing by nature, you know. I wish I was. I couldn't tell you how many times I say that. If, if I was only good at drawing, we'd have a great cartoon right now, you know. <laughs> but uh, I can definitely appreciate things and pick things out and organize and arrange and all that. So it was uh, real natural to, to do that on a computer, print it out and get things together. Yeah, yeah. There was a uh, oh my uh, fish. I'm a huge fish fan. Trey Anastasio, the mm -hmm. guitar player. The custom guitars that he has, the uh, the luthier behind him, uh, whose number I have in here, and have spoken with several times. But the f holes that they put on on his guitar, I, I always really thought that was a great touch, like a violin, and. Um, the way that he makes them is very much like the way that violins are made in his wow. shop in Vermont. And uh, so I, I kind of, uh, we'll just say I took a clue from from that design feature or, or whatever you call that and printed out some F-holes on the water slide decal and mm. put it on either side of the game knob. And that's the one thing that all of them have in common. Yeah. They all have those F-holes on them. Super cool. Yeah, it's a it's a a tip of the hat, you know. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, I got you. Well, man, um, when would photography come into the picture? Oh man. And what led you to it? That one. I mean, you said you had the camera. Yeah, when you... I was gonna say it's hard to pinpoint because uh, I've always enjoyed taking pictures. I think it's easier to pinpoint when involvement changed you mm -hmm. know, my involvement with photography yeah and what about like off. the way that you you do it is like you know the the very candid very realism of it uh, yeah um, and that approach I guess well the camera that I took with me to Iraq was uh, it was a Sony point-and-shoot type of a thing and so uh, this requires basically no knowledge of how lens works or how camera sensor works or exposure or anything it's the you know, type thing you put on full auto, just shoot away, you know. And uh, had some onboard effects like sepia or black and white or whatever, and you could dial those in. And then just, you know, whatever. So the, I think probably the most creative thing I did during that time was uh, setting up a frame, you know, set it, picking out the scene. What, what is it here? We're in northern Iraq. We're in a very small encampment. Bernstein was the name of it. They had ziggurats, half underground, half above ground, you know, pyramid chopped off at the top. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were sitting out on top of one of those and the sun is setting over here and this is the desert. So it's catching all the colors, you know. And these, these cats had been up there so long, isolated. They constructed a church with a steeple. It was crazy. and. Uh, so there was the sun that was setting behind the steeple, you know, and I, I was able to pick that out. And there's my buddy sitting there. He's like, let me get your picture, you know. Yeah. You know, 
good old David Casper, and uh, things like that. Yeah. So there, there was a little bit of that back then, but I didn't know anything about the camera. And uh, fast forward to when I started making these pedals, I could see, well, I need a little bit better pictures of them because I had decided to have a website and all that. I need some quality pictures, better than a cell phone. All I had for a while was cell phone pictures. You can only go so far with that, especially back then, and especially with the cell phone that I had. You know, it was not fancy. So um, I went down to Walmart and just I'm just looking for what's a a real camera. You know, right. not looking for anything fancy. And they had a, a middle of the road Canon. wasn't you know real expensive. Had everything you need type of a, a kit, and uh, I got that. Uh, before that, though, a, a buddy of mine, Chuck, here in town, he had given me a film camera that he had for a long time. And I went away with that. I forgot about that. That was back in around 2011 or 12 or something. He gave me a film camera, a couple of film cameras. I went, I gave the other one to another friend. And uh, a couple of lenses. And so there was, there were some quality photos back then. But I wanted something that was easier. I didn't have to send the film off or take it to Walgreens or something, wait on it to get developed. Anyway, that, that Canon did the trick at Walmart. I was very appreciative of uh, Chuck. That definitely, that was a turning point when he gave me that camera. Mm -hmm. It sparked more of an artistic interest. And that's when I started learning about the fundamentals. My advisor at the time, Mark Goodman, uh, he, uh, he was also a photography person. Mm -hmm. I think he taught some photography classes. So he told me about the fundamentals using that camera, aperture and exposure level, you know, everything that goes into an exposure, uh, uh, sh shutter speed, you know. So um, I already knew about some of that, and, and that was applicable to this Canon that I was getting at Walmart, mm -hmm. uh, taking pictures of these pedals and. Um, some of them long exposures with glow in the dark paint on the on the pedal, you know, so turn out all the lights and put a black light on it, and mm -hmm. let it go for a while in the long exposure, and now it's just woo, brilliant mm -hmm. trick shots, you know, taking pictures of cactuses and you know macro stuff, having fun, and then uh, meanwhile along in there, my buddy Stephen, who I went to high school with, did a lot of music with back in the day. Stephen Perkins, his dad had a frame shop over in Columbus for a long time. Good man. And um, he let us play real loud in their basement, you know, mm -hmm. when we were shortly after high school. We did so many musical things. It was so much fun. I've known Stephen forever, and he got into photography. And I started seeing more and more of the things that he was posting that was really like, whoa. Let me look at that again. What in the world? Mm -hmm. Really, really, really great photos. You know, there's there's several that stand out. There was one from a, a carnival or something where they went. There was a Ferris wheel, and just it just had this thing. It had that sensory thing that, that speaks to me. This, mm -hmm. this sensory experience in a photo, and uh, the way that he had everything set up. And there's his his wife and kids and the Ferris wheel and. Uh, this one picture said a lot. Yeah. 
there was another he would because he would be taking his camera with him everywhere and uh, so like to work there's all these pictures from where he was working in this restaurant and on the line and the line cooks and the chef and uh, the, the whole character of the, of the place just translated and then there was his friends and he would go over to their house and uh, there was one uh, I can't remember these people's names it stuck with me for a while because I saw so many of them that he put on online but the, the little girl was jumping on a trampoline and she was in midair, you know, and her hair was up and uh -huh. he, was, he was just there with his camera ready. He was present, you mm -hmm. know, and it was ready and he had a great lens on it and boom, he got this spectacular this shot. Spectacular. Yeah. The moment was translated through that shot, you know, and the fun that this girl was having, you know, that's a memory. Yeah. And I remember writing to him about several of these photos like, oh my goodness, man, this is some of the best photos I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And um, we'd write back and forth, and he'd tell me a little bit about these lenses and a little more. And there was uh, one of them that had yellowed over time. Uh, long story, we won't get off in the weeds about how these lenses yellow, but it's been discovered how these lenses yellow. Uh, but there was a purported method for clearing them with uh, ultraviolet uh, LEDs. So I built them on a circular breadboard, uh, an array of ultraviolet LEDs, and sent it off in the mail and said, just hook up a nine volt battery, put it over it, let it go. And uh, this went on. So uh, I think it was, I don't know, was it like January of 2019, I think? Yeah, they had moved back down here. They were living in Ohio. They moved back down here. Stephen comes to visit. Mm -hmm. He brings a bag full of vintage lenses and his camera. And I had been working on this, uh, restoring a Fender, an old Fender tube amp. I had it out on the uh, coffee table in the living room. And he was wanting me to, you know, take some measurements so he could take some pictures of me working, you know. And uh, he took several pictures and he's telling me about these lenses and I'm just fascinated. Mm -hmm. And uh, old Japanese Takumar lenses. And then he sent me the photos. And I'm just like, whoa, dude, these are the best photos that anybody's taken of me in memory ever. Mm. And now my curiosity is just going wild. And he told me a good starting point for the camera that I already had, like a good lens that would re, you know, refresh my memory of the fundamentals and give me an opportunity to exercise them and take that lens as far as you can go with it. Mm -hmm. So I ordered it right away and uh, put it on there. And away we went uh, simultaneously at work. Uh, that was sort of the beginning of the year and we were having this kickoff for uh, this thing that we do every year. We have a different theme that year. Uh, and this is really uh, for personal and professional development. That's what it's aimed at, uh, among other things. but. Uh, there's there's usually some good cheer with it so that year it was pick a thing and get one percent better every time you do it you know practice basically and so uh, I said well this is easy photography mm -hmm. I have work to do and um, so that year uh, I did a little more and a little more and a little more and a little more and by August uh, I went on a vacation with my mom and sister and niece and took the camera with me. 
and uh, this was Switzerland. We went over there, and I had heard that this was a beautiful country. Mm -hmm. But uh, when I got over there, I said, "Oh my goodness, it doesn't matter. You just point the camera somewhere and <laughs> shoot." <laughs> yeah, where are you? We went all across. We went from Zurich to Geneva, and uh, took a bunch of pictures over there, mm -hmm. and used primarily that one lens. So then a couple more months, and I'm just taking opportunities uh, to, to really to carry the camera with me more frequently. And um, we get over to October or whatever it was, and I said, okay, I'm going to step up to a new camera, like a full frame, real deal, all the bells and whistles, you know, high performance camera. Mm -hmm. And so I, I found one that was on sale to you, oh man. Made my mama proud, saved so much money, and it's a real deal. You know, it was refurbished, same warranty as new. You know, this is a show enough deal. So, you know, if she hears this, she's gonna be proud. I want to emphasize that I got a deal on it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I got that, and uh, I remembered, you know, Stephen had recommended this. Here's a jumping off point for these old vintage lenses. And I found one on eBay and ordered it, consulted with him. He was like, yeah, that's, that'll do it. Ordered it and went across the parking lot from where, where I work. And there's a rose bush over there. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was just starting to get cold. So this is the last roses out there. And I, they caught my eye. And I said, there we go. Just color. So now to compose the shot with color as a primary element. And... Uh, that lens, oh man, just like like butter. And uh, all you have to do is uh, set the exposure. There's a little bit of a learning curve for what light it likes, what exposure it likes the lens mm -hmm. in order to translate the color. And so I, I took a bunch of pictures of those roses and man, I was just blown away. So Just tweaks, little tweaks oh, in between. Yeah, this is not like, I mean, it's, my dad, when I was a kid, he would tell me, because I'd be working on cutting a steak. We had steak, he'd cook it well done. And I'm just like struggling with it, mm. the table's shaking and all that. And, and he, he said, son, let the knife do the work. And showed me and just slid it across and it sliced right through the steak. Mm. No struggle. It's just like that. The lens will do the work and the camera. You just need to set it up right. Mm. And then there's the, the element of what is it that you're looking at? What is it that you're showing? The eye, you know, the element of the eye. So um, I just decided to take it with me every day. And I have ever since. Every day, everywhere I go, I take the camera. And um, uh, so, yeah, that's, that's how that got started and has not stopped. And it's only gotten further and further and further. Growing and growing. Oh, yeah. So the, the idea was to improve over the course of that year. Uh -huh. And I, I'm certain that that took on a life of its own. Not only improved, but uh, grew into a hobby and now a passion. And so uh, I've since gotten many lenses and uh, learned many lenses and taken those lenses uh, about, well, I'm not going to go and say I've taken every last one of them as far as you can take them because half of it is fun, you know, the, the fun of discovering. 
the capabilities of the new lens. But I've taken them quite a ways, every last one of them. I know what it can do, I know what it's good at, and I know which ones are my favorites. Mm -hmm. And um, so I've gotten into photographing people. Um, this is, you know, partly informed by YouTube videos and becoming interested in certain photographers that put out a lot of YouTube content. And then in one instance, it was one of those photographers was doing a feature on another photographer. And I thought that that work was even more interesting because this person uh, identifies with anxiety the way that I do. And uh, so then the camera becomes an occupation for the anxiety, a, a way to uh, put its energy to good use you know, a way to harness it rather than to be subjected to, um, you know, pain or darkness or all that that can, that can come from anxiety and, mm -hmm. and will if you let it. But the camera then, um, a lot like uh, a, a motorcycle is another example that I've heard, uh, will occupy that in a good and productive way. So then, then it becomes prolific because there's plenty of energy behind it. There's plenty of anxiety, you know. It's, it's not a limitless resource, but it's a vast resource. And uh, letting the anxiety take hold of it, letting the anxiety, because part of that, like we were saying earlier, picking out details, what can go wrong, what can go wrong, what can go wrong. Well, the brain is just going to do that. No matter where it looks, no matter what it sees, now it is on autopilot and it's going to do it. So uh, uh, what's useful for photography about that is that it picks out detail, period. There sometimes is color detail and there's been many photos that I've taken where I didn't do that on purpose. I didn't set the background like that on purpose. It was, as far as intention goes, it was an accident. But my brain did, you know. My brain saw where the light was. It doesn't always do that 100% of the time. Sure. But a lot of the time it does. And it will pick that out and do the work for me. You know, just working in the background. So then, you know, stuff winds up in the background. I didn't know it was there, but it <coughs> just worked really well. And the detail that was there fit and balanced really well. And so... Um, Carrying that around, both you know the anxiety part and then carrying the camera around every day, has really given me a lot of opportunity to, to practice and to grow. And, and I, I mean, I still am, and uh, I've stacked up quite a few photos, <laughs> and I love it. Yeah, I really love doing it. Now, what was the uh, what was the new equipment that you were working on out there at Joe's that they've been? Or was it the flash that you had just um, got? Or? No. It actually wasn't uh, new equipment. None of that was new. I I got I started getting into the flash photography the very first part of this year, mm -hmm. and um, the, you know I, I didn't have a whole lot of time after work, so I need and I didn't have a lot of patience to like chase people around and say, hey, will you help me out here and sit for some photos? It was good. awkward, you know. Mm -hmm. That's another side of the anxiety, you know, this awkwardness between people. I don't like. I mean, I. I'm talking a lot right now because it's just you and me, you know, yeah. one or two people, this is great, but put me in a crowd and I'm quiet. Shut down. Holy smokes. I'm not talking at all. Like, don't even look at me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, 
uh, there's that. And so I said, well, screw it. I'll just, this thing, you can control it with your phone, the camera, put it on a tripod, look on the phone, sit in front of it, learn how to do the flash photo. Bob's your uncle. There you go. There we go. <laughs> so that's what I did. And I learned a lot by doing that about a lot of things. I learned what, what's written on my face. I was surprised, man. I couldn't believe uh, I was carrying around stress instead of doing something productive without just carrying it around, letting it dissipate. And that's mm -hmm. not good, you know. Like, look at my eyes. Like, they're, whoa. You know, when my, uh, when my mind is lit, my eyes get crazy wide, you know. But then, conversely, when I relaxed and I started relaxing in front of the camera, everything relaxes, you know. Even my uh, uh, shyness about sharing my photo, you know, even my shyness about looking at my own photo, mm -hmm. because I did not like to do that before. But just yet, as soon as I started working on it and saying, okay, well, try this, try this, try this, how about relaxing, you know? Well, little did I know that I was going to relax in other ways too, and uh, that was very helpful. And learn how to take flash photos with one flash, a lot of experimentation, moving the flash around. So what was new out of Joe's was uh, taking them outside. I've mm -hmm. been wanting to do that for a long time. And um, one thing that was surprising to me was that you can take a, a flash photo inside with the lights on, as long as they're not, you know, like real bright. And the flash will easily overwhelm the ambient light so that the room then becomes dark, even though it's not dark. You know, even the room light we're sitting in right now that could be overwhelmed, or at least it would look like, in the photo, it would look like it's real dim. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of weird. But if, if you turn the lights down low enough, then it's black. You don't need a backdrop or anything. The flash overwhelms all the ambient light. So then, if it's dark, like outside, well, uh, nothing else but the subject will be in the photo. Yeah, That's it. So it, it gives you a very clean... Uh, sort of a uh, canvas to work with, very clean. And then the edits, you know, if something is blown out in the dark area of the spectrum, if, if, if a part of the photo is black, absolutely black, it's beyond recovery. And uh, the only thing that you can do is, is bring up all of the black pixels uh, to a sort of uh, dull gray. You know, mm -hmm. That's the most you can do with it. So the edits apply to the subject. You don't have to worry about screwing up the background or, or you know, turning a leaf, uh, unnatural color or something like that. All right. You know, that's one thing I don't like is is unnatural looking stuff. You know, especially if it looks plastic or, uh, you know, if it don't look natural, I, I don't like it. So the the aspects of photo editing that that. Uh, I think are fairly popular. I, I don't dig that. You know, I don't like putting stuff there that isn't really there. Yeah. You know. So anyway, that was a, that was new and it worked. Uh, I was pleased with the outcome. Yeah. My mom loved those pictures. Oh, cool. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, man. Oh, I got I've got another one of those that I edited a little bit more. 
that's another thing like you can go a long way with editing mm -hmm. and it is time consuming to go for me anyway to get down in the detail because I'll spend a long time <laughs> picking around the detail mm -hmm. making little tweaks but if you do that then you get that extra level you know you, you take a photo to a new height mm -hmm. and um, trying to avoid putting unnatural things there or, or whatnot you can emphasize one thing more so than another but uh, I have one of you mm -hmm. I'll send it to you okay I've spent some more time on it cool yeah there's only so much time I can spend you know, yeah so, uh, you had a lot of subjects at night oh yeah that was really cool too I didn't know that there would be um, uh, more than one or two that were willing to sit and have their picture made but I think oh, yeah. everybody did yeah you had a bunch it, of art geeks out there yeah that was cool <laughs> and a bunch of those turned out nice uh, you know not, not there wasn't every one that turned out that you know as nice as I would want for it to but mm -hmm. then you know you gotta say oh, these people are nice enough to sit you know let's, let's don't pin them down to the chair and say you sit 30 more minutes you know yeah <laughs> let me take a hundred pictures of you yeah <laughs> right you just respect people's time and energy you know mm-hmm cool man anything else well goodness about photos I think we've covered Anything? quite a bit of yeah, ground. man. We've gone on a marathon tonight. Yeah, Jeez. right at two hours. <laughs> oh, I can talk, man. That's yeah. for sure. Put me in a crowd and I'll shut up. <laughs> Throw a brick at me and I'll shut up. Don't really. But, uh, yeah, no. There, there is, uh, oh, goodness, we can. I like the idea of porch talk a lot because, to me, it's not just uh, chit-chat, you know. It's a cultural thing, you mm -hmm. know. We're sharing and. Uh, moving around town, you know, there's lots of color, there's lots of characters, there's uh, lots to hear from, and there's lots to say. Yeah, just going back to sound for a second, you know, yeah. when you were talking about that breadboard, mm -hmm. like, uh, over this past year, uh, even with everything, I've recorded in more places than I ever have, and there are a lot of natural sounds that I've tried to overcome. It, it'd be a lot easier if we had a mic apiece, and I could phone everything, but yeah. it's right here between us, so there's going to be a lot of ambience. Oh, yeah. You get the little home with the AC. And so just playing with that EQ is like, okay, where is that home? Yeah, you can, you can and uh, with how surgically. Much of, and how much of ourselves will we lose if I take it out? Right. And then noise cancellation. I try not to do that a lot because we'll, sometimes we'll, we'll sit outside. Uh, that was a big part of 2020. It was like porch talk was actually on a porch. Yeah. And uh, you had the cicadas or the locusts, whatever you want to call them. You know, they would be in the background, the crickets, birds. And I was like, I'm not taking anything out of the background. I want all of this. I want, I want this to be as natural as it can be. Cool. Because, uh, I mean, the people who uh, listen, they know that the show travels. That I rarely do it the same place twice. Yeah. And um, I don't, I have a couple of guests that come back, but most of the time it's, you know, it's there's going to be somebody new coming. Yeah, you know? yeah. Let's get to know somebody new. Yeah, cool. What moves them? Yeah, like having, having a new visitor on the porch. Mm-hmm. Good old porch. Yeah, what we're going to learn today. Yeah. I like that a lot. I like sitting and visiting and, uh, uh, you know, the, the Deep South culture of it. It's not just Deep South, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, yeah, I often... 
you know, we, we've been in this pandemic for months now, and uh, I often have been able to mentally sort of float above it mm -hmm. or around it or outside of it and just have some reprieve from it. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I zone back into it and it's like, oh, yeah, we got to hand sanitizer use mask time and uh, mm -hmm. uh, let's check the numbers and my goodness uh, not freak out but you know it's pandemic here we are well the photography has been a way to help deal with that for sure get me out walking taking photos interacting with people that's that's for sure um, I don't think in fact, I don't really even spend much time thinking about how it would be if things were different, you know, um, if this or that had been different these last eight months. But it would be incredibly different. There's People have dealt with this in so many different ways. I think there is something in common about the total human response to being in a pandemic, but um, for me, this my, my girlfriend has been an incredible influence. You know, I think about how it would be different if if that connection weren't there. You know, mm. and I can't even imagine. You know, a daily thing, this connection with this human, and um, it's just like every day for eight months and the the force of inspiration the force of encouragement there was a time in there sitting at home in quarantine you know not going into the office where just the isolation was too much the walls closing in and um, she was an encouragement throughout all of that you know, she loves seeing the photos. Oh yeah. She loves, um, you know, the music, talking. You know, like uh, Johnny Cash referred to June Cash in Paradise, and, and that was coffee with her this morning. You know, mm -hmm. that kind of a thing. Um, so, um, I, I say that because a lot of the stuff that put out there, especially the uh, landscape stuff, well, she has had a profound influence on that, you know, a profound influence on the day-to-day, -day, the, the ability to cope. See it? Yeah, absolutely. Probably has more color, too. Yes. So, uh, when I'm looking around, it, it very much is like she's looking alongside me. You know, carrying a camera, but uh, yeah, there, there's this inspiration thing that she has, and so uh, I think that there's something to be said about appreciation for that very same sensory experience mm. you know, that we share, and uh, a mutual understanding that we share. I could not imagine. Uh, doing it any differently, you know. So uh, I'm really grateful for that. 
I'm grateful that, that somebody can uh, comprehend and appreciate the, the roller coaster that is sometimes me, you know. So, uh, yeah. It adds a lot of character, and uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. I mean, one thing, like, since this pandemic, I'll say about this podcast is uh, it's helped me to be more intentional Yeah. with people. Mm-hmm. And to uh, it helped me to become a better listener. Yeah, I you know it go in in one ear and out the <laughs> other, right? How you doing? Good, and you good? Right. End of it. Yeah. Oh, what's really going on in there? There you go. While we're talking about it. Yeah, I, I think you know that uh, the the thing that I noticed and uh, identified with about your approach is that I think we have a very similar approach in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, carrying around a camera, you're carrying around a mic. In a conversation and uh, capturing the moment mm-hmm. and uh, I think that's I, I'm a fan of it I'm a, I want to know the real deal you mm-hmm. know I want to know what's going on and uh, whether that's idle chit chat or a, a, a joyous topic or a heavy topic doesn't matter mm-hmm. that's the nature of porch talk that's really it. that is you know and I love it so uh, I appreciate what you're doing yeah man I appreciate you taking the time. I'd love to have you on again sometime, man. Heck yeah, anytime you want. We'll put a pin in it right here. Heck yeah, man. Cool. (laughs) Well, thanks so much. Thank you. Have you seen your mother, baby, standing in the shadows with a look of indecision on her face? Have you ever wondered how she looked? She was younger and decisions weren't things she had to make Did you see your father, baby, there beside your mother Laughing with his arm around the waist Have you ever wondered how they were when they were younger And the only thing they had to Didn't
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.